turn with me to Deuteronomy 9. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 9 today and uh, spilling over into 10, but we're, we're not going to look at all of chapter 9, and here's why. Uh, in chapter 9, uh, Moses uh, gives us what I want to refer to and what I want to look at as a theology of prayer. Moses gives us a wonderful theology of what prayer looks like, what it accomplishes, uh, just the confidence with which he approaches uh, makes an appeal. And so I want to, um, within chapter 9, not only do I want to look at what we're going to look at today, but I want to look at uh, next week, if not next week, the following week, um, just a theology of prayer and really teach on prayer and the confidence that we ought to have with prayer and the boldness that, that we can approach the throne with prayer and, and then finishing up in, in chapter 10, how do we respond to grace? Today we're going to look at God's great grace. You know, I was, I was thinking about it, um, uh, I was, if, if I would have been more creative and, and maybe thinking about it more, I realized Friday night, I was, uh, we, this weekend has been Pastor Ken's 25th anniversary celebration and Friday night, um, some of the pastors and their, well, the pastors and their wives and some former pastors and their wives and um, some former deacon and chairs and that. We were out to dinner and someone reminded me uh, um, there's a, uh, there was a One Direction concert down at Tampa Bay Stadium. See, the, all the girls are ready. Yeah, Chris, you know you went, Christian. You were down there. Uh, it's a boy band. I'm sure most of the young girls in here know all about it. Um, but um, they have a song, and, and it's a very good song. I actually enjoy the song. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I, I enjoy the song of a boy band. Um, I knew a few new kids on the block songs back in the day and all that. And uh, Millie Vanilli was one of my personal favorites. Blame it on the rain. That was one of the greatest songs ever. I don't know who sung that really, but it was a good one. But they have a song. I did, I, see, that's what happens when I get off my notes. They have a song. It's called The Story of My Life. And I was thinking about this Friday night, and unfortunately these notes had already gone to the printer and Everything was printed up, but, but if I was going to, today, if I was going to entitle today's message, it would be this, the story of my life. Because the reality is that God's grace ought to be the story of our life. It is the story of our life. Whether, whether we acknowledge it, whether we talk about it, whether we hijack that story and try to make it about us like we do, the reality is this, God's grace is the story of our life. No matter, no matter where, what you've gone through, no matter what you are going through, no matter what you will go through, God's grace is the story of our life. And that's what I want us to see today. And, and, and I was thinking about it this week as I was preparing, uh, as, I, as I was reading chapter 9, I'm going to read it here in a moment, I was thinking about, I, I knew this one particular kid growing up, and, and, and his family was extraordinarily wealthy. I mean, extraordinarily wealthy. And I, and I happened to be friends with him, and, and, and growing up, kids, we, I, I didn't really realize that his family was that wealthy until later on as we got older, but, but we had a long, a long friendship. And as, as we got older and older, instead of, simply being grateful for what he had instead of really thanking his parents and acknowledging that everything he had and eventually that that fortune was handed over to him and, and instead of just being grateful instead of being thankful to his parents and the success that they had experienced and the great grace that they had passed on to him the success of of that they were passing on to him he acted like he had a part of it. Instead of just acknowledging, look, I, I had nothing to do with it. My parents, grandparents, it was really his grandparents and then, and then his parents had experienced phenomenal business success. Instead of just acknowledging that, th this boy acted like he had done something to earn the money. He acted like he had sweated, like he had labored, like it was really his. When the reality is, is he had done nothing. He didn't choose to be born into this family. He didn't help his grandparents make their fortune. He didn't help his parents make their fortune. 
And instead of simply being grateful, he acted like he had worked for it. And the money was made long before he even existed. You know, I was thinking about that, and when you hear stories like that, there's obviously emotions. You probably know people in your life that, that, that maybe are like that. And I was sitting there right before, right probably just before I could think, man, I'm glad I'm not like him. The Holy Spirit said, you do that. See, but mine is not with great riches, though, though most of us in this room, statistically speaking, are very wealthy compared to the rest of the world. You know what I do it with? I do it with God's grace. I do it with God's blessings. I find myself taking credit for things that I had nothing really to do with. Taking credit for things that are totally the grace of God. As I sat last night, we went last night they, and this morning, at, last night at 6 and this morning at 9, they having a, a, a big celebration, and rightly so, for, for Pastor Ken and, and, and in 25 years. And, and you got to understand, pastors don't stay at churches for 25 years. That's a big deal. It takes a lot of character. It takes a lot of something to stay somewhere for 25 years. The average pastor stays somewhere for three to seven years. 25 years, same place. And I, I was thinking about it last night as, as they were showing videos and, and uh, you know, you look up there and you see how Pastor Ken has changed and then I saw myself, what I looked about 12 years ago, and I'm like, man, I've changed. You know, we can kid him about having gray hair. I don't have any hair, you know? Easy to kid him about having gray hair. He's like, where's yours, Chris? It was a nice head of hair, too, at one point. No, but anyway, I, but I was thinking about it. I was reminded, even my pastoring this church, there's a tendency to think there's a great caution, a great propensity in my sinful heart to think that, you know, I deserved it. I earned it. I warranted it. I didn't. Pastor Ken could have picked a multitude of people to come out here and pastor this church, and by God's grace, he picked me. I was thinking about it last night. Twelve years ago, Ken Witten took a chance on me and John Zeller and asked me to come on board with recreation ministry. I didn't even know what recreation ministry was before I came to Tampa. When I went and got my master's degree, I was going, and, and I will tell you, my heart was I wanted a job that made a lot of money and had a lot of popularity and a lot of prestige, and I went, I went and got a master's degree in sports administration for all the wrong reasons. Yet God in His sovereignty was preparing me to be a recreation pastor, and, and I did not even know recreation ministry existed. I came to Tampa with what I thought should be my dream job, and when, and when I started doing it, it was awful. I hated it. It was a very confusing time, wondering why did I hate what should have been my dream job. But God's grace, He was leading me to Tampa to be the recreation pastor. I, would have, I, I remember when I, I was thinking about it, I remember when my mom dropped me off for a three-month internship in Tampa, and I said, Mom, it's just three months. I'll be back in three months. That was 12 and a half years later. A wife and two kids later. God's grace. I didn't know what God was doing. Grace. I have a seminary degree from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. I paid none of that. Grace. I have lunch weekly with Dr. Enns, who wrote many of my seminary, seminary books. Grace. And if I'm not careful, I can take credit for a lot of things. I love to take credit for a lot of things that I had no business taking credit for. Grace. And I feel like I'm probably not alone in this room in wanting to take credit for things that really aren't my doing. That I really had no business taking credit for. That really could not have orchestrated on my own. And I think I, think I thought about last night as I was sitting there, I thought about John 1.16, and of His fullness we have all received and grace 
upon grace. Every day when I wake up, you know what God has bestowed in my bank account? Grace. Enough grace for today. And you know what? In the morning when I wake up, waiting at my door is going to be another dose of grace. Unmerited, undeserved grace. Grace upon grace. Heaps of grace. And that is essentially what Moses is reminding. See, we're going to see today that the characters change, but human nature doesn't really change. And Moses is reminding Israel that everything in their life goes back to God's grace. That they're simply responders to grace. They're, they're fueled by grace. They have nothing to boast about in and of themselves. And if they are going to boast, it's going to bo- they're going to boast about grace. Grace. So look at me. We won't read it all because we're not going to study it all. Starting in really in 25 and following, he starts talking about a, a theology of prayer that I mentioned. And, and we'll talk about that in the next coming weeks. But Deuteronomy 9.1. Hear, O Israel, you are crossing over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, great, na- great cities fortified to heaven, to a people great and tall, to the sons of Anakim, whom you know of, and of whom you have heard it said, Who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that it is the Lord, the God, your God, who is crossing over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them, and He will subdue them before you, so that you may drive them out and destroy them quickly, just as the Lord has spoken to you. Do not say in your own heart, when the Lord your God has driven them out before you, because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me into the possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not for your righteousness for the, or for the uprightness of your heart that you're going to dispossess or you're going to possess the land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Know then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God has given you this good land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb you you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that He would have destroyed you. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord had made with you, then I remained on the mountain forty days and nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. The Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written by the finger of God, and on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken with you at the mountain from the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. It came about at the end of forty days and nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down from here quickly. For your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them, and they have made a molten image for themselves. The Lord spoke to me further, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned down and came from the mountain when the mountain was burning with fire and the two tablets of covenant were in my hands and I saw that you had indeed sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves a molten calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. I told you of the tablets and threw them from my hands and smashed them before your eyes. I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was wrathful against you in order to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. The Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him, so I also prayed for Aaron at that same time. I took your sinful thing, the calf which you had made, and burned it with fire, and I crushed it, grinding it to very small until it was fine as dust. And I threw its dust into the brook that came down from the mountain. Again at Taborah and Massa and at Kibrith Hadavah, you provoked the Lord to wrath. When the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the command of your Lord your God. 
You neither believed him nor listened to his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day I knew you. That, you see what Moses is doing? Moses is reminding them, you think you're all that, but let me just, let me just paint a picture of your history. Let me remind you of why you're here. Let me just stop you in your tracks real quick and remind you that the emphasis of your story is not you. It's grace. And that's, that's the central point today. It's on your handout. That's the only point. The God's great grace ought to be the emphasis of our story. The story of our life is grace. The main character in the story of our lives is grace. Whether you acknowledge it or not today, whether you have come in here today as a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ or as a hater, the emphasis is still grace. Psalm 19, Romans 1, God has bestowed common grace on all of us. How you respond to that may be different, but it's still God's grace. The fact that we woke up this morning, grace. The fact that you had air to breathe, grace. The fact that the earth still sat on its axis, grace. You go to Colossians 9, God is carrying the world to its completion. This is not an accident, it's grace. The reality is, is you, go to, you go to Deuteronomy 10 and God rewrites the tablets. That's grace. I, think, I was thinking about this week, Jonah 3. After Jonah has run been in a whale, vomited out of a whale, Jonah 3.1 says this, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Grace. Grace. Everything that Moses has taught over the first eight chapters was showing us this. People, you serve an awesome God. The common thread through all of that story was grace. It was God. And it begs the question, why in the world, why in the world would God be interested in Israel in the first place, knowing their heart? Why would He be interested? Why would He care for Israel as He does, knowing how they would respond? Why would He be faithful when they are anything but faithful? And ultimately, why in the world would God care about me? And when we're left to answer that question... If you're like me, you know who becomes the center of the circle? I do. Let me tell you why God would do that. Because of me. You've seen me. You've seen the stuff I do. God was smart to save me. No, He wasn't. He was gracious to save me. We tend to place ourselves at the center of the narrative, just like Israel did. That, that something in us would have caused God to save us. What would have motivated God to save us? That, that, that somehow we warranted or somehow we merited God's favor, His grace. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. That's what Moses is reminding them here. He, he is, he's making sure they know, hey, here's the real deal. Here's the real deal right off the bat. Here's why everything has happened. And what Moses tells them is this, that God's grace had nothing to do with any merit that the Israelites had on their own and instead had everything to do with the character of God. God's grace had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with the character of God. That's just how great He is. Everything had to do with God's choice. Everything had to do with God's character. I mean, look back at, it's what he says in verses 1 through 3. He says, Know therefore today that it is the Lord your God who is crossing over before you as a consuming fire. He'll destroy them. He's going to subdue them. He, he says the enemy is greater than you. The enemy is mightier than you. They're bigger than you. They're badder than you. And it's actually, that's the reason the Lord is going to go before you and destroy the enemies. You just come in afterwards and you clean up. You act in faith, follow me, come in behind me and clean it up. But it's actually the Lord who's doing it. And, and Moses is reminding them, you're not winning the battles, I'm winning the battles. The Lord is winning the battles. It's grace. 
And the challenge facing this new generation, interestingly enough, was exactly the same challenge that was facing the previous generation. Same challenge. 38 years earlier, they were standing in this same spot, facing the same spot, the same choice. Will you respond? Will you follow God's grace? What they had to do was simply believe. Simply follow. I say simply, it's not all that simple, but it is in practicality, it is. Simply, simply believe. And Moses is saying, you have a whole history as a nation showing that God is faithful. He's not going to stop being faithful today. God was orchestrating everything to bring them to this point. Even last week, they would say, we saw in chapter 8, they would say, we wandered in the desert. No, Moses is saying, God led you into the desert. He put you there. He, he was, he's disciplining you, he's teaching them a lesson that they need to know. And, and here's the lesson. Here's what Moses is teaching them, and, and he's teaching us. And it's this, the certainty of Israel's future was not found in their own strength, but it was found in the strength of their God. The certainty of their future was not dependent upon them. It was dependent upon the character and the strength of their God. They had a certain future, but it was because of God. All glory was to God. And Moses tells them, look what he says. Verse 3, know therefore today that it is the Lord your God. A very personal God. A very relational God. This is not a God that's aloof. Not a God who put the world in motion and then backed off. Not a God that chose them and said, hey, I hope it goes well for them. This is a personal God. He says it's your God. Personal. Relational. He, he's not impotent. He's powerful. He's not unrelational. He's relational. He's your God. He had a personal covenant relationship with them. He was their God. But yet, even though he was doing all this, even though he was going to do all this, and here's the kicker, it would require them responding in faith through obedience. They had to respond. 38 years ago, the nation did not do too well. That generation did not respond well. What will be the response? They had to take action. See, and, and there's an interplay constantly through Scripture of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God is sovereign, yet man has to respond. They had a role to play. The, the, credit, the credit for the victory absolutely belonged to God, and yet Israel had to engage the enemy. They had to go in and engage the enemy. God would not fight instead of them, they had to do their part. He wouldn't fight instead of them. They, they're going to have to go in and do their part. He, he wouldn't fight in spite of them. They had to be obedient. Look at the previous generation. They died in the wilderness because of their disobedience. But rather, God would fight in them and through them. So he wouldn't fight instead of them. He wouldn't fight in spite of them. He says, I'm going to fight in you. You go take the land, I'll do it through you. You see the, you see the interplay of, of God's sovereignty and our responsibility? Look, look with me at Proverbs 21, 31. And, and we'll see this here. Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. The horse is prepared. But guess what? Ultimately, who does the victory belong to? The Lord. We're to be prepared, obedient, faithful, and it's God doing it through us. This is the faith, Hebrews eleven six, that pleases God. We obey God's revealed will. We trust the Lord to accomplish the goal. We obey as He is revealed and we trust God. You'll accomplish the goal. It was God working through them. You go to John 15, we abide, what happens? God produces the fruit. Ultimately, who produces the fruit? It's God. And, and this is where things really got sideways with Israel, but they can get sideways with us. We start thinking that there's something inherent in us 
there's, there's some sort of righteousness on our own that's causing this to come about, and we start to take credit. They, they start looking at the fruit, and, and they think, look what I've done. Rather, look what the Lord has done through me. They start looking at the battles, and they say, look what we've defeated. No, no. Look what the Lord has defeated through us. And, and I thought about this week in an illustration. Some of you may do this. Some of you may be appalled that I do this. I, I don't know. I, I grew up, my dad did this, and, and I do it with my kids. Sometimes my kids will want to drive. And only in our neighborhood, only in our neighborhood. And driving involves this. I sit in the seat. They sit in my lap. Can they touch the pedals? They cannot. Can they hardly move the steering wheel? They cannot. But they're driving. And they want to go around the neighborhood. So we'll get in the car and, and they'll climb up there and we'll drive. Now they'll run in and they'll tell Karen, hey, we drove around the neighborhood. They think they drove. Did they really drive? Who was driving? Daddy was driving. I was driving. You think I'd be foolish enough to let them hold the wheel? They can't, I mean, the neighbors certainly hope I'm not. But, but isn't that, that's a picture, as I thought this week, that's a picture somewhat of our lives. Hey, sit in my lap, act, obey, do what I tell you. I mean, I tell them what to do, put your hands here, turn, dot, dot, they follow, but I'm ultimately, I'm driving. Ultimately, that car's not going anywhere that I don't let it go. And, and that's the picture of what... Sometimes our kids, they'll want to... Bradley will want to... Or Sarah, they'll want to lift something up. And they can't lift it. They just want to help. So I'll get behind them and I'll, I'll act like they're doing it. They're not lifting it. I'm lifting it. But they're a part of it. They want to be a part of it. And, and that's the picture here with Israel. Moses is saying, look, your part is, to be avail your part is to be obedient and respond in faith, but ultimately it is the Lord that is going before you to do it. Look at verses 4 through 6. I mean, to, Moses is thinking, look, he's got to, you, you're not worthy. You couldn't do this. Look what he says. Do not say in your heart when the Lord has driven them out because of my righteousness. Who, who want to take the credit? They want to take the credit. I want to take the credit. And he's saying, look, you're not worthy of God's grace. And he's very quick to remind them. In chapter 4, in verse 4, he does it. In verse 5, he does it. In verse 6, he does it. In verse 7, he does it. It's not for your righteousness. This is not about your righteousness. This is about the Lord's righteousness. He's reminding them, go back to grace. Go back to God's grace. And the emphasis here, what he's doing is the emphasis here is on the grace of God, not the goodness of the people. And we tend to put, we tend to do the same thing. De-emphasize the grace of God and overemphasize our goodness. And you see, when I overestimate, when I elevate or inflate my goodness, you know what I, you know what I do to the sacrifice of Christ? I diminish it. I diminish it. When I take, when, when my kids take more credit for driving than they really deserve. You know what they're saying to daddy? You didn't do anything. I did it. When I overemphasize the credit that I should take in this life, you know what I'm saying to God? Thanks, but no thanks. You didn't do anything. I did it. The reality is that you didn't do anything, Chris. You responded in faith. And by the way, that faith was a gift too of grace. Romans 12.3. So even the faith that you're taking credit for, Romans 12.3 would say, God has doled out to each a measure of faith. Even the strength you claim that you lifted that box up with, who made you? Who wove you in the womb? Grace. It's grace. And Moses very quickly says, look, at he says, remember verse 7, remember, don't forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath. He said, from the, day and, from the day one till now, he says, you've been a rebellious people. You know what, if I was to describe you, he says, Don't, you'd be rebellious. He says it in verse 24 as well. 
You're rebellious. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day I knew you. You, want, you think you're going to take credit? I, I thought about it this morning as well. Uh, uh, those of you who have little children, it's that time of year, the wonderful, the wonderful time of year of science projects. Those kids are going to go up there, and there, now there's some teachers in here, so close your ears for a second. But those kids are going to go up there and act like they did them science projects. You know who did those science projects. That kid's going to stand up there, and I got this. Look at mom and dad. Really, mom probably is standing in the background thinking, that kid don't know anything about that science project. I did that. That kid thing, I did it. Hey. You know? You fought the whole time, Sarah. You were mad, screaming. I had to do it or you'd have got a zero. My pride won't let you get a zero. You're my child. You represent me. So here's a good science project. But, but Moses is saying, you're rebellious. There's nothing good in you. You fought me the whole time. I'm doing this. And look at verse 12. Then the Lord said to me, Go down from here quickly, for your people who brought you out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside. You notice how he says, Hey, you didn't just turn aside. You quickly turned aside. I couldn't even get off the mountain before you had turned aside to other gods. Quickly. He says the same thing in verse 16. You turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded. Look at verse 23. He says, you neither believed him nor listened to his voice. He's saying there's nothing about you that warranted God's grace, and yet he gave you grace. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You didn't warrant it. And he doled it out. And again, this is a new generation. This is a generation that saw the previous generation disobey and they died in the wilderness. And what Moses is teaching here with this new generation is really that, hey, nothing's changed. The scenery and the players may change, but the nature of people is this, to sin. We're sinners in need of God's mercy and grace. And how this plays out has been playing out from day one. God blesses. His people enjoy the blessing. Eventually they rebel against the blessing. They remiss the blessing. They end up being disciplined by God. They repent. That cycle just continues over and over and over. The rest of the Old Testament is that cycle. Blessing, take it for granted, disobey, punished, repent. Blessing, take it for granted, punished, disobey, repent. It's a cycle. And Moses is saying, look, human nature is this. You need a Savior. You're not righteous. The rest of Deuteronomy 9 and, and on into the Old Testament is a catalog of Israel's disobedience and a catalog of God's faithfulness in spite of their disobedience. Rather than deserving blessing, they deserved condemnation and God offered grace. He offered grace. And God would remain faithful even in their unfaithfulness. Look with me at Deuteronomy 29, 29. Moses, Moses sums it up, and again, we'll look at this in more detail as we, we look at the theology of prayer, but he says, yet they are your people. You know why, you why God did what He did? Because they're your people. Even your inheritance, whom you have brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. You know who did all this? God did it. Why? Because they were his people. He chose them. Because they were his inheritance. Think about that. Think about that. And I want to take a few minutes here to, to make this transition. Not, not, not leave it here with Israel, but think about us. Apply this to us. Apply this to you and I. And you see the points there. The call to a relationship with God is never based on anything in us. Just like with Israel, Moses is saying the relationship had nothing to do with you. You didn't warrant it, you didn't deserve it, and God did it. That same idea is carried over into the New Testament. Same truth. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 31. 
Paul writes this in, in 1 Corinthians 1. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame that which is strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are. Why? Why did God do all this? Verse 29, so that no man may boast before God. But by His doing, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification. All that stuff that you are is because of Christ. All that stuff that render you um, acceptable to God, all because of Christ. All rooted in Christ and redemption. So that, verse 31, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know what Paul is saying? The same thing Moses did. God has orchestrated everything in salvation history so that we can only boast in God's grace. We can't boast in anything except grace. All we can do is boast in grace. And God interacts with people through grace and not merit. The, the emphasis today in my relationship with the Lord, your relationship with the Lord, is this, grace. There was nothing in me that warranted God saving me. It's grace. Look, look with me at Titus 2, 11, real quickly. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared... What happened? Bringing salvation to all men. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and approve with all authority. Let no one disregard you. He goes in in chapter 3, verse 7. He says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also were once foolish ourselves. You see it? Disobedient. He's saying, look, this is who you were when God saved you. You were foolish. You were disobedient. You were deceived. You were enslaved to various lusts, enslaved to various pleasures. You were spending your life in malice, spending your life in envy. You were hateful, hating one another. But listen to this. But when the kindness of our God and Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's grace. It's grace. Just like Israel, our relationship with God is based upon grace. But not only that, B is this, we must fight the tendency to think that we deserve anything from God, that we are owed anything, or that we are worthy or to be praised for anything that's accomplished. We, we have to fight the tendency to pat ourselves on the back and say, look what we have done, rather than look what the Lord has done through us. The, the praise goes to God. And just like with Israel... Their future, the certainty of their future relied in the character of God. The certainty of our future relies in the character of God. He saved us not on the basis of the deeds we had, which we had done, but on the character of God. The sacrifice of His Son. And if we're going to boast, 1 Corinthians 1.31, Let him who boasts, boast in God. John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. They can't both happen at the same time. We, I can't increase and God can't increase at the same time. If you make much of me, 
you're going to make much, you're going to make less of God because I'm going to get the credit. But if I make less of me, I'm saying, hey, what you see is because of God. And here's the beauty of it. When I make much of God, guess what? I get made much of. Why? Because I'm in him. If we make much in Christ, I get made much of. Why? Because I'm found in him. It's grace. It's grace. See, is this. We've got to remember just like them that God is personal. He's personal, just as he was with Israel. He's personal. He has allowed himself to be known. I mean, Hebrews said, let us approach the throne with confidence. God has basically, when Christ died, he tore the veil. He says, come all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Approach with confidence. He has given us an invitation to approach the throne. We can approach him anytime we want. He's accessible. He says, if you ask anything in my name, know that you have what you've asked for. Confidence. He's personal. I mean, Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He's personal. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? He's personal. But grace, it's grace. And Moses, his prayer in verse 25 and following was built upon the character of God and the grace of God. And he approached God with great confidence, very boldly. And we can learn much about that prayer. And the same in the New Testament, he has said, you're my child, come unto me. Approach with confidence and just ask, ask. He's personal. But not only that, we're responders to grace. D is this, we're responders to grace. We live in the overflow of His grace, and we live in the strength of His grace. It's all about grace. Just like with Israel, it's all about grace. God is working out His plan in and through us today, just like He was with Israel. And there's a great tendency for us, just like Israel, to take credit for the things that God has done. When reality is He's just doing them through us. Look, look with me at Philippians 2 and, and see this. The response to grace and how God works in and through us. Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Listen, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Who is it working in you? It's God that's working in you. Are you obeying? You absolutely are, I hope, but it's God who's working in you. There is a connection between God's grace and our response to grace. And when we forget God's grace and think that we warrant it or that we're doing it, everything gets messed up. It is all a f flowing from grace. And the bottom line is this. The danger and the tendency of all of us is to forget who we were without Christ. To forget what it was like to not have a Savior. To forget what it was like to be orphaned. To be, a, to be, to be in poverty without Christ. 2 Corinthians 8-9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, He became poor for your sake, that through His poverty you might become rich. He emptied Himself. And, and, and you can look at this just here in this church. You can see it and how it plays out among us. We find the church, church we make good friends, we, we receive the welcome welcomes, hopefully, of the people there. And then guess what? Before long, we think we deserved it. Instead of being grateful, we're complacent. And now when new people come in, it's like, this is my church. I hope you all get plugged in. Instead of remembering that we once were those people that came through the doors, didn't know anybody, and people welcomed us. I, two weeks ago, we sat in Gary Davis's class. They had a, a going-away party for him. And it was amazing to me how many people in that class were in that class because Gary Davis was the first person that welcomed them. How'd you end up in that class? Gary met me at the door and welcomed me and invited me. 
but, but Gary never lost the, the gratitude and the gratefulness of being saved. Of the privilege of having fellowship and friendships. And, and for, he never forgot what it was like to walk into a church for the very first time and maybe not know people. Of maybe being overwhelmed that, hey, they seem to know everybody and I don't know any of them. That can be overwhelming. And, and he, he never lost that. Somebody took a risk, not only within church, but guess what? Somebody took a risk at some point in your life and shared the gospel with you. All grace. By grace, you, you responded. Hopefully, you had your sins forgiven by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are you, but the point is this. Are you taking that same risk? Are you willing to take that same risk that somebody took with you? Somebody shared the gospel with you at some point if you're saved. Are you willing to take that same risk? I mean, there are a lot of people that are very deceived. I mean, I took our kids to the park a couple Tuesdays ago and there was a guy there and I strike up a conversation with him and I start sharing the gospel with him. And this man literally, I promise you, this was his words to me, salvation is feeding the squirrels. That's what he said. Salvation for him was feeding those squirrels. And he said, then later on he said, yes, yeah, salvation is, uh, is, is hearing your kids laugh on that playground. So I started talking to him more, and he named about nine things that he was a part of, and he said, yeah, but I'm mostly Christian. Mostly Christian. Well, that's good to know. Mostly Christian. Like if this is a buffet, or... People need to hear the Word of God. And some, when I was a sophomore in high school, somebody took a risk and shared the gospel with me. And by God's grace, I received, I, I received that and was saved. Sins washed, forgiven. Will we take that same risk? Will we respond to grace by sharing the grace or, or do we think we deserved it? I mean, we're eager to be forgiven, but do we forgive? We're eager to be restored. We want to be restored, but are we willing to help others be restored? We want to be forgiven, but do we hold things against one another? Do we talk about one another? We don't want to be gossiped against, but do we gossip? And we gather here on Sundays not mainly for us. It's about the worship of the Lord. And it's about the one another's. And we can, draw, we can fall into the tendency of coming here to simply check the box. Just to show up. Just to check the box. Rather than coming here out of great gratitude for grace and for salvation. And wanting to grow in that grace and that salvation. And, and I pray that we would be a church that always makes much of grace. It doesn't mean we just let everything go. Sin will be dealt with. Sin will be confronted, but we're going to confront it out of the great grace that we've received on our own from God. We're going to share that grace with others. We're going to extend that grace. to we're going to, we're going to love one another, I hope, enough to draw one another back when they wander. We're going to love one another enough to confront when there is sin, but all out of grace. Because every single one of us are sinners. So, so just stop acting like it's not so. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. But you're saved by grace. If you've taken the blood of Jesus Christ and by faith applied it to our lives. See, sinner does That's not the end of the story. Sinner, for me it says saved by grace at the end of the story. And I pray that's the same for you. Romans 5.20 says this, Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more abounds. And I pray that would be the case in our lives because sin abounds in our lives. I pray that God's grace will much more abound and that we would fight the tendency to forget that it's all about God's grace. The story of our life is grace. And we need to be reminded of that week in and week out. And I close with this. I close with John, Romans 10. And, I, and he, Paul says this about, about Israel. He says in Romans 10, 1-4, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. 
For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. May we not try to justify ourselves. and Instead, may we just live out of the fact that God has justified us. May we not live trying to establish our own righteousness, rather live up to the righteousness that God has declared to us and upon us as believers. Israel's problem was they sought to establish their own righteousness rather than relying on God's righteousness, which is through faith in Christ Jesus. For them, righteousness was through obeying the law. For us, it's through placing our faith in Christ. That was all they knew about God at that time was the law. We have Christ. Faith admits I'm a sinner, worthy of death, and extend falls upon, falls upon Christ who paid that penalty for me. He paid it for me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Christ, God made Him, Christ, who knew no sin to be sent on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Only through Christ can we be made righteous. And that is exactly what God did for us. Don't, don't try to make yourself rich rather than basking in Christ's riches and instead because christ has made you rich be willing to make yourself poor that others could be made rich through christ because our savior did that second corinthians 8 9 i mean isaiah 64 6 and, and it says that our righteous the deeds that we've done in righteousness are as but filthy rags the best that we have to offer god compared to his greatness, is like a filthy rag. So just bask, bask. Live in the overflow of his grace. Don't try to establish your own righteousness. Understand through Christ, if you're a believer, you've been made righteous and live that out. Instead of trying to establish your own, receive by faith the righteousness that God offers through Christ and be saved forever and then live it out in, in living for others and making God's name known in others. God, God loves us because He chose to love us through Christ. But you have to receive that through faith. You have to receive it by faith. He loves us out of grace, nothing on our own. Bask in that grace. Live out the joy of that grace.